first Sunday of Advent, and like I mentioned last week, we'll be beginning today an Advent sermon series that is titled simply Christmas Gifts as we uh, anticipate and look to the various uh, gifts that God has given us in Jesus Christ this Advent season. And so we begin this morning by looking at uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Verses 19 through 24, if you don't know where the book of Lamentations is, if you find Isaiah, you go from Isaiah to Jeremiah, and from Jeremiah to the book of Lamentations, Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. And before we read God's word, I invite you to bow with me as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on his word this morning. Lord God, as we come together to your word this morning, we pray, O Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. And I pray, O Lord, that you would speak to us through these words what you would have us to hear. That the message that you would have for us, O Lord, would bear abundant fruit in our hearts that would be for our transformation, O Lord, that would be for our good and for your glory. So come to us now, prepare our hearts, open our minds and our eyes and our ears. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 24 The book of Lamentations uh, was uh, most likely, and we will assume throughout the message that it was written uh, by Jeremiah, that's the fairly overwhelming evidence that Jeremiah did write the book of Lamentations, and he was known as the weeping prophet because he wrote and prophesied under such difficult circumstances and at such a dark time in the history of God's people. And so uh, these, uh, as I believe, and as most Scholars believe are the words of Jeremiah in that context. This stands really at the middle of the book, and he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, or as I think a a better translation as the ESV has it, I remember it continually, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait And as we'll see in the message, that word wait is the same word as the word translated hope in verse 21. I will wait in hope. I will hopefully wait for him. You may be seated. Charles Spurgeon once said, hope is like a star. It's not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, but only discovered in the darkness of adversity. 
As we ponder the gifts that God has given us in Christ this Advent season, we, we begin this morning with the gift of hope. And in the book of Lamentations, we see how that gift of hope is discovered, like Spurgeon said, in the darkness of adversity. The book of Lamentations is, as the, the name, as the title suggests, a book of lament. It was uh, written, like I said, by the prophet Jeremiah, who was lamenting the tragic fall of Jerusalem at the hands of Babylon. And so the, the historical context, the book was, was written shortly after the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, and the people were carried off into exile, so right around 586 B.C. And the, the destruction, if you remember that piece of Israel's history, the destruction was brutal, and the loss was heavy, and the pain was raw. The book just sort of launches into lament from its very first breath, from its very first verse in chapter 1, verse 1, how deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile captive before the foe. Let me just pause there for a moment and say that the language of lament is something that I think is somewhat foreign to us, which is really unfortunate. The language of lament is an important and authentic expression of complaint before the God in whom we trust. And I think we've kind of lost it because there's something about us that has been taught to us or it's been ingrained in us that we ought not to complain before God. We ought not to we, we put on a happy face and a, and a pleasant disposition and pretend that everything is okay when everything is not okay. Well, that's not a, a biblical response to, to pain and to suffering and to sorrow. The biblical response is to voice authentically our lament, our complaint, even our anger. It is something I think we would do well to practice more often. And we see this language of, of lament often, especially throughout the Psalms, and it gives voice to our, our pain and our disappointment and, and a whole range of emotions as, as we live as God's people in a broken world. But nowhere do we see this language of lament more pointedly than in Lamentations. The book graphically portrays some of the horrors of the exile to Babylon where, where kings were slaughtered and women were raped in the streets and where young boys were made into slaves and, and executed princes were hung on the city wall for display. Lamentations chapter 5 says women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the town of Judah. Princes have been hung by the, up by their hands. And again, that's, the, that's an image of executed princes who were hung by their hands on the city wall for display. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. In Babylon, starvation reached such an extreme that mothers were reduced to cannibalism. Uh, chapter 4, verse 10, with their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. In the midst of his adversity, the prophet felt forsaken and alone. He says, this is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, uh, stretches out her hands looking for, for someone to comfort them, but there is no one to comfort her. Such strong 
language and graphic imagery arrests the reader and demands our attention. I remember a pastor who preached once at his own daughter's funeral, and he began with these words, I have been to where life hurts the worst and cuts the deepest and hits the hardest. Therefore, listen to me. And the book of Lamentations really functions that same way. The prophet has been to where life hurts the worst and cuts the deepest and hits the hardest, and his words therefore demand our attention. In his anguish, he describes the way he feel, has felt afflicted by God. And so he says of God in chapter 3, He has broken my bones. He surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has weighed me down with chains. And as the chapter goes on, that language of lament and complaint grows more and more intense. So he says of God in chapter 3, verse 10, Like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me. In verse 16, he says, He has broken my teeth with gravel and has trampled me in the dust. And this sort of extreme language is sort of shocking to our ears, but it's, a, it's a, this, this raw expression of his grief. It's kind of like it reminds me of the, the words of C.S. Lewis when he was mourning the painful death of his wife. And he used that same kind of shocking language before God. In his bitter grief, he said of God that he hurts us beyond our worst fears and beyond all we can imagine. And all of this sort of sets the stage for a proper understanding of our text here in chapter 3 of Lamentations. When we get to uh, verses 19 and 20, we understand then that Jeremiah is lamenting deeply the loss of Jerusalem and all of the pain and all of the affliction that has come with it. And so he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. And those words, bitterness and gall, refer to those things that are just like what it sounds like, those things that are bitter to the taste. And it's a figurative way of saying that life is hard and it's heavy, that, that his experience in life is, is all bitterness and brokenness. And this deep bitterness of life is still fresh and raw, like a deep wound that is still laid open. So he says in verse 20, my soul continually remembers it and is downcast within me. Well, these words of Jeremiah give expression to all who have tasted the bitterness of life, to all who know really to, to any degree pain and, and loss. And maybe, maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you are in a bitter place. You know what it is to feel afflicted and wandering. You, you know what it is to feel alone and, and to, to hold out hands and not find comfort. Maybe you're experiencing what some have called the dark night of the soul, which is this, this deep feeling of despair and distance from God that no matter how, how often and how, how loud you cry out to him, he seems like he's just not there. And the only prayer that you can authentically pray over and over again is David's prayer when he said, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew a steadfast spirit within me to sustain me. Maybe you're living in the shadow of health concerns, and every day is darkened by the unknowns of what the doctor might say or what the results might show or what the prognosis might be or, or simply just the, the, the heaviness and the burden of declining health. 
Maybe you're dealing with the affliction of family problems or a strain in your marriage and you've forgotten what it is to be happy. And so you ache for that family system that is healthy again. There's this deep sense of loss that comes through conflict and turmoil and sort of a constant butting of heads and tension and rivalry and you are deeply grieved over wounds that never should have been inflicted. Maybe you're burdened by the state of our nation where anger is so easily stirred and where tensions run high and where senseless acts of violence leave so many wounded and broken and in which increasingly it appears to be a nation that despises what God decrees and embraces what God abhors. Maybe you're battling Depression, this sort of this, this vague and undefined feeling of despair, this lingering spirit of discouragement, and it gets heavier as we head into the holiday season, and you just can't seem to shake it. Your days are heavy with sorrow. You see, there, there are many different paths and many different roads that lead into the room of lament, but all of them leave us with that same sort of heaviness of heart, that same ache of sadness, that same piercing pain of of vandalized or disrupted shalom. And so Jeremiah speaks for us all when he says, my soul is downcast within me. But it's into this, this sea of, of loss and lament that Jeremiah finds a strand of hope. When all seems to be darkness, this, this single ray of light penetrates his soul. And he says in verse 21, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Now, it's interesting, the, the book of Lamentations was written with absolute literary, uh, there's, there's a, this genius behind it. It is a literary masterpiece. It is beautifully and artistically written, and this verse just so happens to stand as the very literary center of the entire book. I think it is the writer's way because... When things are at the center in Hebrew literature, it's always like a spotlight shining on that, bringing the focus on that particular message. I think this verse stands as the writer's way of showing that hope is the center of existence for the people of God. That even in the midst of life's darkest and most bitter seasons, hope prevails. That word hope is a translation of the Hebrew verb yahal, and the basic meaning of yahal is, is to wait with confident expectation. And so it's not like hope that we use it in the, in the, in the, in our, in the common sense, I, I hope the Vikings beat the Packers. Actually, that's a fulfilled hope because it happened last week. Usually that's sort of this wishful thinking kind of hope. And that's the way you often use it. I hope this happens. I hope for the weather gets better. I hope that it doesn't rain today. I hope that, I hope that the sun, all those kinds of things. That's not, the, that's not the biblical sense of hope. To wait with confident expectation. The same word is used again, like I mentioned in verse 24, where Jeremiah says, The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. And, and portion refers to the, the, the land allotment, the, uh, the people that would, the, the land would be divided in different tribes would get their, their portion of the land. The Levites would get God himself as their portion. The, the best of all gifts would be theirs. 
And so Jeremiah taps into that imagery and he says, the Lord, God himself is my inheritance, my possession, and therefore I will wait for him. And again, that word wait is the same word that's translated as hope in verse 21. And so those two translations, wait and hope, capture, I think, what, what hope is in the biblical sense. It is a hopeful waiting, a waiting with confident expectation. A couple of months ago, uh, Lori, my wife Lori, was going for a run. And... Uh, our dog, Ruby, was really hopeful that she would get to come with. Sometimes she gets to come with, and, and sometimes she doesn't. It kind of depends on what Lori's mood is and how, if she really wants to deal with, you know, Ruby on a leash and things like that. Well, this is one of those days where Ruby did not get to go with, and, so, and she was crushed. She was devastated that she didn't get to go. And so as Lori went off for a run, Ruby sat at the end of our driveway just staring at her and waiting for her to come back, waiting in confident expectation. And this just happened to be one of those longer runs, and I think Lori went for a walk after her run, so she was gone for about an hour. And I, I didn't pay any attention after she left, and then you know, I was just doing my own thing, and then I came back, and I went by the window about an hour later, and there was Ruby, still sitting in the exact same spot, and still looking in the exact same direction, still waiting in confident expectation, just knowing that at some point she's going to come back. I think that image captures the biblical idea of hope. Waiting in confident expectation, knowing that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do, and he will come to bring help. For Jeremiah, this hope is grounded in the character of God, and it springs from three aspects of God's character, which are expressed in three powerful statements in verses 22 to 23. Some scholars call them sort of a trilogy of theological affirmations. And just as these provide a deep and abiding hope to Jeremiah, so they provide a deep and abiding hope to us. So the first aspect of God's character that provides hope is his steadfast love. Jeremiah says in verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And that phrase, steadfast love, is a translation of that Hebrew word chesed, which we've talked about often before. It's a common word, one of the richest words in the whole Old Testament. The chesed of God is, is his love, but it's sort of a, a unique expression of his love. It's his covenant love. It is how he is in, in, in relationship with his covenant people. So it's love blended with, with his deep sense of loyalty and kindness. Some translations try to capture the meaning of the word by translating it as his faithful love or his loyal kindness. There's an old uh, Jewish legend that says when God was about to create humans, he consulted the angels that were gathered around his throne and, and the angel, and, and just to give you a heads up, this is not a joke. So if you're expecting sort of some punchline at the end, it's, it's not going to happen. It's, it's, a le it's not a joke. It's also not true. It's just this old Jewish legend. So the angel, so, so God is getting ready to create humans, and he consults the angels gathered around his throne. And the angel of justice said, do not create them. For they will commit all kinds of wickedness against each other. They'll be hard and cruel and dishonest. And the angel of truth 
So do not create them, for they will be full of lies and deceit, and they will trample even the very truths that you reveal to them. And the angel of holiness said, do not create them, for, for they will indulge in all that is impure and evil in your sight. And then the angel of love stepped forward and said, O heavenly Father, create them. For though all of these things are true, your love will run deeper than their wickedness and deeper than their lies and deeper than all the evil they could muster. Create them. And when they turn away, your deep love will draw them back to you. Now, the theology of that legend may be a little off, but the message rings true, that God loves his covenant people with a steadfast and undying love, a love that conquers whatever evil might threaten to to pry them away from his grasp. That's what Jeremiah found in the darkness and anguish of exile. They were there, and, and he knew they were there because of their own sin and rebellion. But even so, God would not abandon his people. He would preserve them. By his steadfast love, he would conquer the evils of their exile, including the sin that brought them there. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, God does not love some ideal person. He loves real people just as we are. And that is the first aspect of God's character that provides hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The second aspect of his character that provides hope is his compassion. Jeremiah says in verse 22, his compassions never fail. And the compassion of God is that part of his nature that shows his favor and his care to those that he loves. There's a sense in which it is a fatherly word. For the psalmist says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. But there's also a sense in which it is a motherly word. For the actual word in Hebrew is the word rahamim, which literally means womb. And so it, it conveys the sense that as a mother cares for the one in her womb, so God cares for his people. Compassion is that, that, that the deep love that one has for another that is rooted in a natural and a deep bond. So God has bound himself to his people. He has made them his treasured possession, and therefore he cannot stop caring for them. Read the book of Hosea and you'll see how, how deeply and how fiercely God loves his people as a, as a parent loves his or her child. His compassions never come to an end. In the days after our son Ethan was born, he had some health issues that required him to sleep on a phototherapy bed. And so he would spend his nights on that little bed out in the living room and and I remember the, the first night that he was on that bed and I woke up in the middle of the night and I, I noticed that Lori was not lying next to me and I didn't know where she was. So I got up and I started wandering about the house to go try to find her and went out into the living room and, and there she was all bent and twisted next to Ethan's little bed, sleeping on the hard floor next to him with his tiny little hand holding on to her finger. And I, and I, I stopped and just took in that sight for a moment. It kind of arrested me because it was, even to this day, it's one of the more vivid pictures of compassion that I have ever seen. 
And this is how God is toward his people. He he cares for them in their suffering. He hurts with them in their pain. He, He does this not out of obligation, but out of his deep and tender love for his people, simply because he loves them. He loves them not because of who they are, because of anything that they've done. It's just because he is love and he loves them. He can't but love them. And as Jeremiah said, his, his compassions never fail. That means that they never run out. They're, they're never exhausted. They, they never stop. In fact, Jeremiah says they are new every morning. I, I love, I, I think that's such a powerful Expression, new every morning, like a hot breakfast buffet at a nice hotel. You, you go down in, in one morning and you, there's this huge spread of food. You eat all that you want. And you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and there it is. It's all the same stuff all over again. It's all been replenished again and again, day after day. So too with the compassions of God when he pours himself out one day, lavishing us with his compassion and his care. And you think, how could, how could a, a perfectly holy and almighty God so pour himself out with such an extravagant expression of compassion and care and mercy? And when he does that, one day we wake up the next to find that he will do it all over again. His compassion is a regenerative compassion. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. The third aspect of God's character that provides hope is his faithfulness. Jeremiah says in verse 23, great is your faithfulness. He changes here from the third person to the second person. We don't know exactly why, but perhaps because he is at this point so moved to worship that he just has to express himself directly to God. Great is your faithfulness, O God. The word faithfulness means literally firmness or steadiness, and it's that quality of God that makes him completely trustworthy. He is true to his promises. He is unwavering in his commitment to be the God of his people. He is persistent in his love. That The faithfulness of God is like a firm and steady boat that you can depend on to take you safely across the water. He is trustworthy and dependable. His character is unchanging. And his commitment is unyielding. The great hymn writer uh, William Cooper wrote often about God's faithfulness. And if you know his story, you know that he struggled often with, with deep anxiety and depression. And more than once, he tried to take his own life. But through it all, God preserved him. And he kept drawing him back to himself with his persistent love and care. And one morning after reading about God's faithfulness and his sovereign power and love in the book of Romans, uh, William Cooper uh, picked up a pen and he wrote these words, which became one of his more famous hymns. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. These are the words of one who has known the faithfulness of God. His steady and unwavering trustworthiness, even through suffering and pain. 
So these are the three aspects of God's character that, provides a, a, that provide a deep and abiding hope, his steadfast love, his never-failing compassions, and his great faithfulness. And we may wonder at this point, well, I thought this was an Advent series. What does any of this have to do with Jesus? Well, it has everything has everything to do with Jesus. Because all three of these find their, their deepest and their ultimate fulfillment in Christ, don't they? Christ is the greatest demonstration of God's love, as Paul said in Romans chapter 5, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is no greater or deeper expression of love than that. There's a statue, and I don't, I don't remember where this is. It's at some famous museum in some place that's not in America. I, I can't remember where. But there's a statue, of a, a, a big statue of the crucified Christ, and inscribed at the bottom of the statue are the words, this is what the love of God looks like. There is no greater demonstration of the steadfast love of God than the giving of his Son. And Christ is the ultimate picture of compassion. As the prophet Isaiah said of him, surely he took up our pain and he in his own body bore our suffering. As the writer of Hebrews says, he was, he was made to be like human and he entered into all of the suffering that, that humans experience. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. He is the picture of compassion. And he is the very substance of God's faithfulness, as Paul said, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So all of the promises of God, the, 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 the faithfulness that we see of God all throughout the Old Testament and being true to his, his covenant promises, all of those promises find their substance, their yes, their fulfillment in Christ. And so through him, through Christ, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. When God sent his son into the world, he gave us the gift of hope. Most of you, if you know me at all, know by now that one of my passions in life is duck hunting. Surprise, surprise, right? But as much as I enjoy it, there, there's one thing, and maybe I've shared this with you before, I don't know, but there's one thing I, I, I don't like about duck hunting, and that is... I really don't like the early morning darkness. I, I usually hunt on big water, especially late in the season when it is bitter cold, and there's just something about, there's, there's, sense, there's a sort of loneliness and, and a dread that comes with being out on big water enveloped by darkness. So, and, and the older I get, the harder it seems the, to face the darkness, the harder it is to get out of a nice, warm, comfortable bed and to go into a boat, big water with cold waves and wind, and ice and snow. But there's something else that comes with that pre-dawn darkness. And that is that underneath the emptiness and the dread, there is always hope. There's hope that, that daylight is coming. You see, it happens every single time without fail. The, the darkness fades and the, the light of dawn always comes. The dread of darkness will give way to the rising of the sun. And this, by the way, is, is a picture that a friend of mine took of me and my boat hunting last year on Lake Winnebago. 
And this is what happens every single time. You go out there and it's pitch dark and think, oh man, why am I out here? It's cold and it's dark and there's just sort of this dread, but then every single time the sun comes up and the certainty of the sun rising makes all the difference because it provides hope in the midst of the darkness. And you see, this is what Jeremiah found in the midst of his lament. In his darkest hour, he found hope in the character of God. Though he was enveloped by darkness, he had, he had the, the confident expectation that the sun would rise again. Because the Lord is my portion, he says, therefore I will wait for him. The sun is coming. I know who God is. I know his character. And therefore I can wait in confident expectation that he will come. That he may not change the, the circumstances that I'm in, but I know that he will be with me in the midst of them and work through them for the good of those who love him. May it be so for us as well this Advent season. In the darkness of adversity, may we see the light of hope in the face of Christ. May we find in him the hope of God's steadfast love and his never-failing compassions and his great and enduring faithfulness. Let's bow together. Lord God, as we come before your throne in this time of silent prayer, I pray, O oh Lord, that you would fill us with that hope that Jeremiah found. Hope that is rooted and grounded in your character. Hope that finds its fulfillment in Christ. Lord, if we find ourselves in a season of darkness or adversity or pain or sorrow, Lord, hear our prayers as we offer them to you this morning in the silence of our hearts. Oh, Lord, the, the psalmist said, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, O oh Lord, even as we put our hope in you. May we find hope 
in this day and in this Advent season, O Lord, the kind of hope that Jeremiah found. Yet this we call to mind. And therefore we have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. May we live and rest in the hope that comes from who you are in the face of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I invite you to 